Welcome to Book Bistro, where book enthusiasts come to chat about the books they love in a warm and supportive environment. Today is Monday, May 20th. I'm Shannon, and I'm here with Stacy and Sarah, and we are here today to talk about a topic that was actually Stacy's idea. Yay! So, <laughs> so I will let her explain it. Well, I thought that it would be um, a good time of the year to discuss um, books that have some sort of military aspect to them with Memorial Day coming up. I thought it'd be a nice way to kind of pay homage to the military and also to discuss um, a topic that I think needs more discussion. So, yes. And so we are recording a week before the Memorial Day um, observance. And by the time people are hearing this, it will be like the Friday of Memorial Day weekend. So we are definitely timely. I'm really excited for this episode. Yes. Yes, I think this will be a lot of fun. I had some trouble picking books, like when I got down to my last couple. I, really I did had too. To struggle to um, decide, but I think we're good. So before we actually dive into the meat of the episode, I have the usual housekeeping, and I have an addition to the usual housekeeping. So this is definitely a momentous occasion. So as always, you can find us on Facebook by searching Book Bistro Podcast. Once you're there, you can like and or follow the page. You can also join our Facebook listener group where you can chat with us as well as with other podcast listeners. And if you are someone who prefers Twitter, Book Bistro is finally on Twitter. And you can find us there. We are at Book Bistro Podcast. So definitely follow us if you are a Twitter user. If you'd like to get a hold of us for any reason, you can do that via Facebook. You can send a direct message via Twitter, or you can email us. And that address is thebookbistropodcast at gmail.com. So that is our introductory <coughs> material. So I am going to ask Stacy to start us off with her first military book. I will go next, and Sarah will end the round before we start again. I am so excited. I've been wanting to talk about this book for a long time, and I couldn't quite decide on when to. So now I'm finally getting to. Um, Kristen Hanna is one of my favorite authors. I love everything that she's Yay. written. I yes. know. And so this, this episode, I'm going to talk about Homefront by Kristen Hanna. And this book I found to be very riveting and very raw and very real. And this book focuses on Jolene, and she is about 41, and she's in the National Guard, and she is a pilot, and she's a mother. She has a preteen daughter and a little preschool-age daughter, and she and her husband are kind of at a bumpy spot in their marriage where they're just not communicating. And this book takes place um, several years before now. Um, and so her unit is, um, 
I believe the correct terminology is called up and told they have to, they're going to be going to Iraq. And so her husband, who is a high powered attorney, um, to put it very bluntly, is just pissed off and furious that he has to suddenly figure out how to balance his very important professional career with taking care, taking care of his two daughters. And just before Jolene goes off to war, they're discussing divorce. And he's just very resentful of her, and her leaving is very upsetting. So Jolene and her best friend go off to war. And while they're away, Jolene's husband, Michael, kind of learns a little bit more about what it means to be more present um, in your family and what it means to be proud of your spouse who's off serving overseas. And Jolene returns home from the war pretty battered in body and in spirit and is not coping well with being a veteran after the war is over. And so she is trying to get help, and she's told that she cannot get in to see a counselor at the VA for, like, I think it's, like, three months at least. And she kind of starts spiraling downward, and it's about kind of how her family pulls together to kind of help her regain her equilibrium um, in a world that seems so changed and altered since she went off to war. And I don't want to give any more of the plot away, but I just, I found it to be a really, like I said, a very raw and real story. And it was just, uh, just a really, I'm, I'm guessing it was a very realistic depiction of what a person can kind of experience both the person going off to war and for the rest of the family left behind. And this again was Homefront by Kristen Hanna. I loved it. I loved it. Did I leave anything out? I didn't want to like give too much away, but I, I no, no, I think you summarized (laughs) it really well so that people get a good idea of it, but also still, you know, can want to read it without knowing. Well, and I have to say as a mom, this book, I felt like she wrote really well about, you know, basically like before she went off to war, she was like super mom and like did everything perfectly And when she came back, she really had to juggle a lot of things and, like, kind of relearn how to be a part of her girls, you know, her daughter's lives. And I just loved, like, the whole relationship. And I loved that, like, the dad had to step up. And and I don't know. Like, I really liked reading from both of their points of view, both from Jolene and from Michael. Yeah, I agree. I I thought it was – it really captured my attention when I read it for the first time. And I loved it even more when I reread it for the episode. So my first pick tonight also falls into the category of raw and real. This is a book that I read for the first time back in 1999 when I was in college. And this is The Things They Carry by Tim O'Brien. And this is not the kind of book that I usually read. You know, I don't just decide I'm going to pick something like this up and like hang out with it for an afternoon. But it's something that has stayed with me, you know, it's like been on 20 years since I've read it, and it still resonates with me. Um, it's not really a novel, but neither is it a collection of short stories. It is like a conglomeration of fictional episodes that are very heavily based on the real-life experiences of veterans of the Vietnam War. So the title piece is The Things They Carry, and it talks about both the physical mementos that this one unit of men carries with them as they march in Vietnam, 
but it also touches on the emotions, um, the fears that they carry with them. And this is writing that is so incredibly poignant. Um, I don't really have good enough words to express like how it made me feel. But we move back and forth in time. Um, we see what led up to some of these boys being drafted into the army, what their experiences are during the war, and then what it's like for them when they come back. Um, this is unlike anything else I've read. And I think there's a reason for that. It takes a certain kind of gift to write something like this and actually make it work to bring all of the many, many pieces together into this kind of collage of, of stories. And I, I just don't know. I, I feel <laughs> like there's so much I could say. And yet, Nothing that I say really comes close to like touching this book, but it is so amazing. If you've ever wondered what it feels like to be at war, um, you should definitely pick this up. And I'm going to stop rambling now, but this is <laughs> The Things They Carry, and it is by Tim O'Brien, and I, I just love it. My first pick tonight um, is a book by an author named Tara Civic. And Tara Civic, she, I feel like a lot of her books are a little bit more like rom-com either. And I haven't read them all, but I've read a few. And they're kind of light and they're kind of fun. But she wrote a book a couple years ago called Fisher's Light. And when I read it, 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 I really enjoyed it. It made me very sad. I went back and read it again. And I think it was just the, the way when, well, I'll get to why it made me sad in a second, but um, how I think our country's expectations for veterans coming home, kind of what we expect, like we just expect them to like jump back into their lives and, kind of just move on, like, you know, come home and start talking about like, oh, are we going to watch, um, well, they probably most of them wouldn't watch The Bachelor, but that's the only show I can think of right now. <laughs> you know, or, you know, like, oh, you know, I want to go to this concert or, oh, you know, like this person's dating this person. And it's just so like far outside of their experience. And I feel like a lot of veterans have to come home and they don't feel that they can show kind of the inner turmoil that being in, you know, in a war causes, of course, I've, I'm not a veteran, so I can't say, but that's kind of my opinion. So this book, Fisher's Light, focuses on a woman and her husband. They, she, they live on a small island um, off of the coast, of, like near South Carolina. And um, she's lived there, the, the heroine has lived there since she was like 16, and when she moved to the island, her now husband, Fisher, that's his last name, but everybody calls him Fisher. He's kind of like the golden king of the high school because his family is one of the founding families of Fisher Island <laughs> Hall. And so he basically can have any girl he wants. He's kind of floating on air. His vomit. dad's not very nice. Yeah, I know. It is kind of vomit. Like, he's not somebody that I would usually like, to be honest with you. But, um... His dad isn't that nice to him, and he really wants to um, do something different than what his dad expects of him, which is, like, go work at a bank. 
So he signs up to be a Marine. And they it, it, it goes through with some flashbacks, like the past 13 years of their lives from when they were in high school to now. And every time Fisher does like five tours. And every time he comes back, he gets a little darker, a little darker. Just And, and he always says um, that his wife kind of holds him together and, and keeps the darkness at bay. But the last time he comes back, it's just too much for him. And um, when he first gets home, he sees her and um, just doesn't have words and kind of um, has a kind of sexy rough, not bad rough, like sexual encounter with her and sees later that his hands left marks on her, even though she liked it. And he doesn't share with her how bad that makes him feel. He feels that he's hurt her. He feels like, you know, he's, he's starting to unravel. He's having a lot of like flashbacks and he's starting to have trouble like telling reality from his flashbacks. And he starts drinking a lot and basically, um, has a meltdown and pushes her away, divorces her, goes to the mainland to get help, and he's gone for a year. So then the book focuses on when he comes back to the island after a year, wanting to be back in her life because he never stopped loving her, but he felt that because of everything that he'd experienced, he was too damaged and too, um, in his mind, too crazy to be with her. And it's kind of how they find their way back to each other. And I just thought it was a great book. I actually re- just reread it again for this episode, and it really um, choked me up a couple parts. I just really thought it was a good book. And I don't know, I again, I don't have PTSD, so I really don't know how it really is for people, but I felt that she did a very good job of writing it. So, again, it is called Fisher's Light, and it's by Tara Civic. And it's going on my TBR. And yeah, mine, mine, too. It yeah. was really good. You know, again, it was, you know, I it's, all the books I picked are romance in nature, but, um, and I don't always love contemporary romance as we all know, but I really liked this one. Then I probably will too. <laughs> the next book I'm going to talk about is a different time period. And I found this book to be fascinating for many reasons. It is silence for the dead by Simone St. James. Yeah. And I know, and it's, you know, it's, it's gothic, it's atmospheric, it's spooky. It takes place in the early 1920s in this abandoned house turned into a hospital um, in, in England, in a very remote area of England in the marshes. Um, so all that is fantastic. And then it's haunted and there's ghosts and there's fear and all of that is fabulous unless your name is Shannon and then you hate that part. <laughs> <laughs> yes, then you're not a but, What if Shannon, you don't love ghosts? I thought no. you loved <laughs> No, I just can't cope. But but tonight, for the purposes of this episode, what I'm going to talk about is the fact that um, after World War I, when veterans were returning home, so I love the gothic, I love the ghosts, I love the terror and all that stuff, but for the purposes of this episode, what I liked about this book is that it really focused on different um, things kind of revolving around different types of bravery and you know, in the early 1920s in England, what made somebody brave? And when soldiers returned home from World War One, it was very shameful if there was any sort of PTSD or what they called the time shell shock um, from events happening in the war. And so if, um, if, if you had the money, you would discreetly tuck your soldier away 
in a, like a, like a sanatorium in like a private hospital. So they could basically fall apart in private and no one had to see it. They were just hidden away out of embarrassment. And so terrible. I know it's it terrible. terrible. And, and so in this story, we have a young woman, her name is Kitty Leakes and she's pretending to be a nurse because as one does, because why wouldn't you? And so she um, ends up at this very remote um, hospital for the, the wounded soldiers, but basically the wounded soldiers whose minds have been wounded. And so she is there and she's trying to pretend to be a nurse and not doing a very good job of it. Um, and she meets uh, a soldier who's hidden away there and only called patient 16 and patient 16 is there um, because basically after the war, he thought about suicide but during the war, he was like the poster child, and he was called Brave Jack. And he was in all the newsreels, and he made all these passionate speeches to kind of rally the country. And so God forbid when he returned home, he would have any issues with, with any sort of PTSD from the war. So he was hidden away. And so, you know, as as um, the, the soldiers here and the nurses are dealing with hauntings and terror, there's also all these different sort of things going on with different types of bravery and what you know what causes someone to why is it so shameful for someone to have such an impact from the war and I just I love this book so much and I was terrified when I read it again yes um <laughs> but I really I I just found it very interesting how shamefully um veterans were treated after World War One, and I'm assuming earlier as well but how PTSD was something to be ashamed of rather than something that you could, you know, potentially treat with support. So I love this book. It's Silence for the Dead by Simone St. James, and I highly encourage everyone to read it, whether it's because you want a tale of ghost and gothic or if you want to read a really interesting depiction of what happens after a war back in a previous time, previous era, or both. I want another Simone St. James to come out. I know. Me too. I, I love her books. I haven't seen one in a little bit. No. Like, not since The Broken Girl. No, um, I can't talk about that. I'm home alone right now. We can't talk about that. No, we, we won't talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> we, we won't talk about ghosts. No. No. So, my next pick is a dual timeline novel. Yay! I love them. And they are amazing in all kinds of ways. But this is The Alice Network by <gasps> Kate Quinn. Before I go any further, I just want to say that this is not a military story in the true sense of the word. It is a story of a woman who gives her life to the war and what happens to her after the war is over and how how deeply she is affected by the events of the war, even though she's not someone that would be considered a soldier. So her name is Eve, and she becomes part of a secret spy network in World War I. And she does some very brave and dangerous things. And she's, this unit is all made up of women, and they are responsible for some of the most daring um, movements beyond enemy lines that most people like don't even know about. They've just done all these things to prevent the Germans from, from winning the war. And while they were doing these things, the government was sort of indebted to them. But when the war was over, they were just like the, the soldiers kind of pushed to the side 
and no one really thought a lot about what was happening to them in the years after the war. So part of our time is spent with Eve, and we watch her as kind of this successful spy. There's all kinds of intrigue, a little bit of romance, some phenomenal historical detail that I loved so, so much. Then we jump ahead to 1947, and we meet Charlie. Charlie is a young woman from a prominent family, and she is pregnant, even though she's not married. Ooh, and heavens. this is a bad, <laughs> bad thing for her, her family. So they send her to Europe, and they say, you know, you, like, take care of this. Um, either Tour you know, the continent. Yes, <laughs> but get rid of this baby. So instead of touring the continent, as her family <laughs> wishes her to do, she decides that she is going to go to France and try to find her cousin, who she believes has survived um, a Nazi concentration camp. But this is not something that Charlie is able to do on her own. And it is suggested that she seek out Eve, who might have some information that could help her. Now, Eve is a recluse now. Um, she's drunk way more than she's sober. She never leaves her house. She wants nothing to do with anyone. And basically, she's just living in the past and trying to figure out like how everything went so terribly wrong in the world. Eve does not really want to help Charlie on her quest to find her cousin. Um, this is just not of interest to her. She has kind of her own problems going on, both inside her mind and just kind of in the world in general, and she's just not interested in Charlie. But she finally agrees to come along and help Charlie and also to reveal bits and pieces of her story along the way. So this is definitely a story that blends the past and the present, if you consider the present to be 1947, which for us it is not. But it <laughs> it weaves these two time periods together. To be very honest, I found the parts from Eve's point of view to be the most compelling by far, because I really love Quinn's ability to make me feel like I was in the body and the mind and the heart of this female spy. Charlie's portions were not quite as interesting to me. I loved watching her get to know Eve and kind of uncover the truth, not only about Eve, but about what happened to her cousin. But Charlie as a character did not thrill me. So if you are wanting a book where both heroines are kind of equally dynamic, um, unfortunately, this one isn't it. But I recommend it mostly for the kind of spy era stuff and for the profound impact that giving her service to England has on Eve for years and years to come. So this, again, is the Alice Network, and it is by Kate Quinn. I have to read it. I, I, I've i been wanting to read it. Yeah, she's been on my, Kate Quinn's been on my radar for a while, but now that I read The Huntress, like, I was waiting to see what you would say about this book. Um, yeah, because I, I really, really want to read liked it. it. I didn't love it, like, in quite the way you would love, you know, a book that you're going to go ahead and rate five stars, but there is uh -huh. a lot to enjoy about it. And the parts that deal with Eve are just incredible in so many ways. The next book I'm going to talk about, I did rate five stars. 
<laughs> it was so good. very good. Um, it was, I have to confess, um, I hope my boss isn't listening. It was another one that I read at work <laughs> while I was working on my computer. Um, it's also one that I may or may not have started to cry while eating my salad and reading it at lunchtime. <laughs> no, it's so good. It's called We Are All Made of Stars by Rowan oh. Coleman. And this book takes place in London. And um, it is about a woman who is a nurse. And she meets this man and just, oh, my God, does she fall for him. Head over heels. And they're very different. I mean, she kind of describes herself. She's not really, but kind of like lazy and, you know, she's not in the best of shape. She's kind of just happy, like drinking Prosecco and eating junk food. And he likes to run every single day. He loves to run. Like when they'll walk together, sometimes he'll just run circles around her. And then he buys her these pink running shoes and makes her run with him. And he just, oh, so dynamic and so full of life. So he goes off. He has to go back to, um, I think it's Afghanistan. Yeah. Yep. And, um, while he's gone, um, his wife continues to run because he made her start before he left. So he returns and he has been injured pretty severely. Um, someone threw a bomb and he literally had like a tenth of a second to get out of the way and he loses part of his leg and he has some scarring and he has a lot of other guilt that I won't go into because it will ruin the book. So he comes back and he's very broken and kind of acts like, look at he's coming together. He gets a great new leg so he can still run on his prosthetic leg. And he does this bike bicycling thing and he's like out in the world working, but at night he is an absolute mess. And he's, he's drinking and he can't sleep when it's quiet. He's always playing music loudly, like with headphones on. And he's pushed his wife totally away. Now, during this time, she has become a hospice nurse. And it's because she, she does better with the nighttime. She, she likes to be out at night. And so this book focuses not only on this soldier and his wife, but focuses on a young woman who has cystic fibrosis who is at the hospice. Um, she's not dying, but she is in like long term recovery, um, from a pretty bad, um, like flare up of her cystic fibrosis. And she had a really bad infection in her lungs and all the places where people with cystic fibrosis usually go to heal are full. So they have her go to the hospice. And so part of this book is about this young girl um, who's like 22, 21, and her relationship with her best friend, who is a guy. And it's very obvious to us from the first chapter of them together. He is so head over heels in love with this girl. He can't even like hardly function. And she does not get it. So there's that story. And then there is another character who they weave into this book who he is a guy and he works for um, a museum. I don't want to tell you what the museum is because it will ruin part of the book. And um, he is very solitary. His mom uh, died when, when he was 10. She left a suicide note and his father um, died like later, like when he was a young adult. And, um, 
he's very lonely, but doesn't know he's lonely, very solitary. And he meets a woman who moves in next door with her um, 10-year-old son. So all of these people are woven together. The hospice is kind of like the thing that draws them all together. And I can't say why, but this book is just one of the most beautifully written books about coming to terms and coping and letting down your guard enough to trust again. And one of the most beautiful parts about this book is that um, the nurse, the wife, writes letters for people who are dying who can't write their own letters anymore, and they dictate letters to her. So at the beginning of every chapter, or at the end of every chapter, um, is a letter written just by random people. You know, you don't know anything about them. They're not even part of the story, but they're letters. And it's just like one of the most beautiful books I've read in a really long time. I, I highly recommend it. I don't know. Stacey, do you have anything you want to say about We Are All Made of Stars before I stop talking about it? Um, it should be called This Book is Made of Awesome. But yes, besides that, should. that's all I have to say. I, I love oh it. Oh, my God. So it was so worth reading. At the beginning, you're kind of like, what the hell? Like, it's all these random people, and it's it's kind of hard to follow. But if you give it a chance and kind of settle in, you know, like Sarah was saying, the hospice is what kind of weaves all these stories together. But it's about acceptance and trust and learning to love and learning to understand yourself in a different way and I, I don't know it's just a really 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 lovely book I love all the relationship building it was Me really too. good yep I it, we are all made of stars is the only book I've read so far by Rowan Coleman but I want to read other ones by her if they're half as good as this one they would be five star reads for me yeah this is sitting on my iPad read it tomorrow oh, you should read it it's really lovely then you I too can cry while soon. you're eating salad it's true I could <laughs> I certainly could. So another book that has a lot of different relationship type elements to it is Making Faces by Amy Harmon. And I picked up this book because um, there were some sort of um, veiled references that it was like a modern day Beauty and the Beast, which is my catnip. I love it so much, Beauty and the Beast I stories. Too. And um, so this book focuses on... Um, Two young people, um, her name is Fern, and his name is Ambrose. And Fern grew up uh, very plain, um, but adored by her parents. And so in high school, she was just sort of like overlooked and, you know, no one really paid attention to her. And Ambrose, um, conversely, was uh, like the golden boy of high school. He was like this, like, kick-ass <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> kick-ass wrestler who had just these huge um, you know, expectations put on his shoulders and just could basically do no wrong. Like, I'm, I'm sure that, like, glitter came out of his pores and, you know, he was just sort of perfect and very handsome. And, um, well, Fern has loved Ambrose for most of her life. And, of course, he doesn't really know she exists. And so this this book takes place like um in 2002 um because what happens at the beginning of their senior year is 9/11 and he decides Ambrose decides that he is going to go off and and fight um he's going to enlist after high school even though he has a full ride uh, on a wrestling scholarship to college he's going to go off and enlist he's going to join the army and do his part for his country and he convinces all of his friends to come along and this is the story about when five young men go off to war and only one of them returns. 
Okay. And and he returns very Awful. damaged, yeah, very damaged in mind and body. And he basically withdraws from the town. And um, so this book is about how um, Fern and Ambrose, um, after he returns from war, build this beautiful friendship um, that slowly deepens into love. But in the midst of all this, it's also about learning to accept yourself for who you are and how the word hero can be applied in so many different types of situations to so many different people. Um, but there's a lot of themes in this book about like guilt and acceptance and, you know, self growth, self understanding. Um, there's only one thing that kept this from being a five star read for me. Um, there is a really wonderful character in this book, um, with a disability. And I felt like, um, his, his character, he was turned into some inspiration porn. Um, I thought that too. And, uh, that was the only sour note for me in the book. And I also sort of felt like, um, some of the more serious aspects of the book were glossed over a little bit in a bid to keep it more on the sort of inspirational end of the spectrum. But overall, I really liked the writing. Um, I loved just the relationships in the book and I, I highly encourage you to read it. If you, if you, like Amy Harmon, or if you like, you know, books about all these different themes I've been talking about, then I would encourage you to pick up Making Faces by Amy Harmon. This is one of the few books um, by Amy Harmon that I have not read yet, although I do own it. Yeah, and I would say, I mean, it was very well written. It was very good. But I would say for me personally, of all the books by her, I have read it the weakest. I agree 100%. Totally agree. I still gave it, I I think I still gave it four stars because I really liked it. And I, it just wasn't quite as, I just felt like it fell a little short of what it could be, if that Mm -hmm. makes any sense. But I encourage, it's it's a good for a read, especially, you know, if you like all these different themes. Well, and I kind of figured like even a book that is perhaps the weakest of Amy Harmon's novels. It's still awesome. Right. It's still like <laughs> very, very good. Head and shoulders above many. Yeah. Her writing yes. is just, she really sucks you in to her story and her characters are always flawed and always real. And, you know, she just makes them very believable and relatable. So and she just uses words to paint such beautiful pictures. I feel like yep. she's one yeah. of those that is very good with that. Oh, word pictures. You gave me a lovely segue <laughs> into my next Without novel. even knowing it. Yes. Help. Thank You're you. welcome. So next up for me is The Lords of Discipline by Pat Conroy. And Conroy has, I think, some of the most lush and magical writing I have encountered. And I read a lot of books. Like, that's kind of how I spend my days um, and my nights and any time <laughs> between <laughs> books and books and books and books. But there are very, very few authors who are as special to me as Pat Conroy, even as a woman, you know, now living in the 21st century, who technically should not enjoy some of the uh, some of the things that the southern masculinity that Conroy writes about um, holds as as sacrosanct. I I still deeply deeply love his writing, even if I don't agree with all the things that he says. So this is the Lords of Discipline, and it's the story of Will McLean, who 
is sent to a military college in the early 1960s. I guess technically it'd be more like the mid-1960s. So Vietnam is kind of, you know, rumbling to life. Um, people are being sent there, but it's not yet a big, um, a big news item when he goes off to the Carolina Military Institute. And we basically see what is done to young men in the name of bravery and war and heroism. And so before you're even, you know, in the trenches fighting, you are subjected to horrible, horrible things by these people who are supposed to be readying you to be a fine, brave soldier. And I was appalled the first time I read this book, and equally so the second time I read it, by the things that these young boys had to endure. Like, these are people who've just graduated from high school. So, you know, yeah, technically they're adults, like, uh, legally. But they're <laughs> but not. They're, no, they're not. They're They're young boys who are still very very impressionable and what they're taught is this very skewed sense of of honor and that you can you can bully people you can beat people you can basically do anything you need to in order to shape someone into this ideal of a military man and will fights back against the system with pretty much everything he has. And he's not always successful. We see him triumph, but we also see him fail. And when he fails, it's it's terrible and tragic. But he never fully becomes what the Institute wants him to be. And honestly, I think if he had given in, I, I would have loved this book far less. But it is partly because of his ability to hold on to his ideas about love and humanity and respect um, that drew me to this book so, so much. Um, It's, I just, I don't know how to describe Conroy. He, he writes in a way that's very lyrical. um, And yet, you know, you're aware that he lived in a, a different time and place from when, like, we're living now. And so he's writing about the South in the 60s, and there are some racial slurs and some very negative ideas um, contained in here because that's the time and the place that he's writing about. And he brings it to life in a way that is vivid and beautiful, but not always easy to read. So if you're looking for something a little bit challenging, um, but very, very insightful and worth your time, I highly recommend The Lords of Discipline by Pat Conroy. I pretty much recommend anything he's written, but <laughs> for this episode, I, I have to uh, say that The Lords of Discipline is amazing. He's the Prince of Tides author, I was just right? going to say that. Yes. Yeah, because Michael, my husband, loves him so much. Yes. And he wrote to me about him on Facebook once. Yes. made me happy. And I feel as though... Did Pat Conroy pass away recently? Yes. And that was a very distressing day for my husband. He just said, I feel like we have lost something magical and just no one else can capture the way that this man writes. And no, it's true. Yeah. um, The next book I'm going to talk about is probably by far the lightest of the books I read for this episode. But I, I discovered this author. Um, We, 
I've read that she is called the queen of the slow burn romance. And, oh, yes, she is. And I Sorry. adore, like, literally, I dove in and read every single one of her books in less than two weeks. Mariana, uh, epic book. binge. I <laughs> epically binged. I couldn't even, like, like some other books by authors I love came out that I'm like, I'm sorry, I have to continue with Mariana Zapata. I cannot come up her air. Like, I couldn't even hardly breathe. I just, I devoured <laughs> them. Like, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And then I wrote about it on Facebook. I and snacked enough. <laughs> and snacked up until three, reading every night, Mariana Zapata. So this book is called Dear Erin. And it is the story of a girl who um, wanted to do something nice, and she's done it before. And so she decides to be part of this program and write to someone overseas. And she doesn't really know anything about them. She just knows his name is Aaron. She doesn't know if he's old, if he's young. She doesn't know where he's stationed. She doesn't know anything about him. So she starts off writing to him, and her letters to him are so, like, awkward. The word, yeah, well, they're kind of awkward, but they're kind of, like, plucky. Like, she's, I hate that word, plucky, but she's kind of, like, cute. <laughs> You know what I mean? Like, she seems very breezy and confident in her letters. Wouldn't you say, Stacey? Oh, yeah. Yep. Yeah, and, like, fun and just really fun. And she writes to him several times, and then finally she says – and never gets a response. And so finally she's like, you know, I'm this is my last letter. You know, I, it's been so great to correspond with you. I hope you're okay. And then all of a sudden he starts writing back to her. And they really become – First, just people that, you know, like each other, like, um, you know, they, they enjoy being, I don't like the word pen pals, but that's kind of what they are. They write back and forth and they email back and forth. And then it starts to deepen into this really beautiful friendship, like very close friends. And they, they continue to write for over a year, just back and forth and back and forth. And they don't know what either of them look like, which I love that. And it's interesting because the heroine in real life is kind of really um, very underconfident, does not really believe in herself, doesn't think that she's good enough. She feels like her family is so much more um, successful than she is. She's still trying to figure her way. And Erin kind of builds her up and gives her more confidence and, and says things to her like, Hey, you know, you're, this lady sounds like a, excuse me, but sounds like a real bitch. Why are you working for her? You know, you've got more talent or, you know, you really should try this or that. Or it sounds like everybody really cares about you. Just like kind of offhand stuff that really helps her. And she, without knowing it, really helps him through, you know, a difficult time in his deployment. He, um, this book doesn't really go into like in depth, like the effects when people get home and PTSD, but I feel like she really does a good job of highlighting the fact that it's very lonely and she really was a good friend at a good time. So when they get back and they meet, because of course, you know, they have to meet, he is like stunningly beautiful and she just can hardly like think that he would want to be her friend or want to love her or anything because she doesn't feel confident enough to be part of his orbit. But he is so in love with her for, for, her letters and her wit and um, he has to kind of win her over. And I think some people are, are kind of who read it, the reviews, they're kind of annoyed by her because she's so underconfident, but I, including your sister, including, <laughs> <Sorry>. Stacey, <laughs> including 
couldn't say, but I actually kind of liked her because I sometimes I feel like heroines in, in romance books, especially, they're always like super confident and they always know what to say. Even if they act like they don't, they always have like the perfect one liners and the snark. And she's not like that at all. She, to me, in some ways, is very real person. And I really like that. So this book is a little bit lighter, like I said, but what I love about it is it's just such a beautiful friendship. I mean, it takes hours for, um, I mean, till like the last quarter of the book before they even meet. But there are like chapters interspersed about her and about him. You know, it's not just letters. Um, I would highly, highly recommend you guys read Dear Aaron by Mariana Zapata. But really, anything by Mariana Zapata is phenomenal and will fill your heart with joy yes yes and it's just i like i said i love that she's the queen of the slow burn romance and what i love the most about her is it's not a whole bunch of angsty drama like by the time by the time they decide they like each other it's not like and then the ex-flame who's so much more beautiful with fake boobs comes in and ruins everything (laughs) and then they all have to go off to their houses and cry like she doesn't do any of that (laughs) and it's so refreshing so i have to say I have to say about Dear Aaron, the thing that I liked the best about that book truly was the the way that the relationship deepened through mm-hmm. email and letter and texting. Um, that was my favorite part of the book. And it was not about I, their look. No, it was all about people getting to know each other on a soul deep level where looks and like, you know, life away from their conversation didn't matter. And I really, really enjoyed that. And the fact that she was willing to write to a soldier she didn't know just to try to give friendship and comfort to someone who's deployed and, and overseas and away from home. So I like that part of it a lot. My final book tonight is Learning to Stay by Erin oh. Sol- Solello. I, I do hope I'm saying her name correctly. And I loved this book so much. Um, it was very hard to read. Again, it was about um, I think a lot of books that I read for this episode kind of focus on the relationship of a couple um, when someone returns home from war. And in this book, we have this young up-and-coming attorney named Elise, and she is so in love with her husband, Brad. She thinks he's like the center of the world. And Brad is in the middle of his deployment, and he's over in Iraq. And Afghanistan? Iraq? I don't remember. Sorry. He's over in the Middle East. He's in the Middle East. And... um. So um, she finds out at the beginning of the book, she's at a, an, another woman's house who's uh, her best friend. Her husband's also serving. And she finds out that um, her her best friend's husband did not survive and that her husband is coming home. And so, you know, she's a little naive, I think, at least. And she just sort of assumes that Brad's going to come home and everything's going to be fine. And so they start like trying to go out to dinner together. And he basically almost punches this guy out in a restaurant and they try to go to a Christmas party together. And it's just very awkward and he can't really talk to people very well. And all of a sudden he'll just laugh inappropriately and he's just not behaving like himself. And, you know, he's just drinking a lot of um, Jack Daniels, just neat and behaving very strangely. And all of a sudden having these episodes where he gets very angry at his wife and tells her to do these very, random things at home that don't make any sense. And he's like patrolling in their backyard and she can't figure out what to do. And and, and she's getting very stressed out at work and um, starts reading more about brain injury and PTSD and kind of learning that, yeah, he might've come home in body, but part of his soul, part of his spirit and part of him will ever remain 
um, in the Middle East. And so their relationship becomes more and more strained. And, um, you know, it's, it's just, it's very challenging. She loves him so much, but just she's beginning to fear for his safety and for her safety. And then enters in a stray pit bull mix. Oh my God, I love him. I know that, that he names Jones, a female pit bull mix. <laughs> and suddenly things begin to improve because of his time spent with this dog. And the story is about many things, but one of them is how the power of a partnership with an animal can kind of turn your life around and kind of help you to cope with things that cause you a great deal of stress and pain and conflict. And I love this book so much. It was really, really well done. And again, very raw and realistic. And it is called Learning to Stay by Aaron Salello. Loved it. I know. It's really worth reading. I think we both need to say here that we kind of had, we had to do like some like <laughs> we did arm wrestling and like <laughs> to figure out rock, paper, scissors, who got to talk about which books. We've like, adored all the books that we both read. So, yeah, yeah, this was, um, I was very confused. Like who is supposed to talk about what? <laughs> I know. And I was just like, all right, like forth. work it out. <laughs> So my last pick is a series, and I'm not going to talk about the entire series because, well, <laughs> just don't be like another bad. hour. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I just don't think I can. But I want to give you kind of an outline of like what this is about and let you know what the first book is. So this is the Survivors Club series by Mary Bello. Oh, yay! And these are um, historical romances set just after the Napoleonic Wars, so the very early 1800s. And we follow six men and one woman, all of whom have been gravely injured, either physically, mentally, emotionally. But in some way, they are carrying scars from, from the war. And these seven form a club that they call the Survivors Club. And they spend a lot of time together. There's this grand country house where they all meet several times a year. And this allows them to kind of have time when they can actually be themselves and they can deal with the horrors of you know, everything they experienced in war. Because, you know, in the early 1800s, you, you can't really, you know, I mean, you can't do it now in the 21st century. So you certainly couldn't then. You know, you can't go to, like, this really jam-packed ball and start talking about, you know, all the terrible things that you were forced to do in the name of war. So this group, they kind of serve as a respite to each other. So we follow them not only as they kind of mend from the war as best they can, but as each of them finds love. And Mary Ballow does this thing that I love in historical romance in that she allows the focus of the story to simply be on the main couple. You know, we yes. don't have a lot of, yeah. like, we don't have a lot of scandal. We don't have high drama. We don't have any kind of mystery. We spend this time with the couple really getting to know them as people and understanding their relationships to each other and to, of course, the people who are most important in their lives. Um, the first book in the series is called The Proposal, and you don't have to read them in order. 
Although I would recommend it just because it allows you to kind of get to know all of the characters. And then when each individual person gets his or her book, you're kind of happy because like, you know, all of the backstory <laughs> and you can cheer. Yes, yeah. you can. You're like, wow, it's this person's turn. But technically, you know, if you, I started with the fourth book in the series, for example, and then <gasps> went back and read the rest. <laughs> um, I'm shocked at you, Shannon. Hey, I got a, a review copy. Oh, and okay. so I read it without realizing like kind of how much it hinged um, on, you know, the previous books. And I could always follow the story. Like I never felt like out of my depth, like I didn't understand, but I definitely didn't feel as connected with like the supporting characters as I would have had I read, you know, starting from the first book all the way through to the last. So this again is the Survivors Club series and the author is Mary Vallow. Book one is The Proposal. And if you read these in audio, the fantastic Rosalind Landor will oh, delight yay. you with her narration because she is great. All that is awesome. Sarah, is it time to fill us all with Yes. I can't wait. I... Awe and wonder and great sadness. <laughs> I don't know. This is probably my hardest book to talk about because um, there's so much in it. Um, I'm. We did this strategically on purpose so that Stacy would start with a Kristen Hanna book and I would end with a Kristen Hanna book so it wouldn't be too close together. Um, the book I'm going to finish with tonight is The Great Alone by Kristen Hanna. And this was probably in my life one of the hardest books I ever read. Yeah. And um, I almost like it almost made me sick at a few points not sick like just the emotions in it and the way that Kristen Hanna wrote the story like I almost felt like I like crawling out of my skin at a couple points in this book um the book is about a family a husband and wife and, and a little girl and um the husband has come back from Vietnam and he is struggling He's struggling, you know, he, you know, works these jobs, but then he loses them and he's just really just not in a great place. And they're kind of like living kind of a nomadic life, kind of like bouncing around different places and different homes. And he gets the grand idea one day that it's just too commercialized. Everything, there's so much pressure. And if he could just live off the grid with his family, it would be enough and he would be okay and his family would be okay. So he gets it in his head that they're going to move to Alaska, like not Alaska, like in a city, like in a, um, like the, like the final, yes, here. like the like final the frontier. Yes. And so they set out on this journey because the wife kind of like is very obsessed. Well, they're kind of obsessed with each other. And anything that he says, she's like, oh, okay, yes, I think that's a wonderful idea. And so they they head off to Alaska, and they get there during the summertime. And it's beautiful, and the, the people in this tiny little community welcome them with open arms. And it's, like, amazing. And the, the father is starting to feel so much better. And it's kind of this, like, little idyllic time. And the daughter meets a boy that's her age and they start to become fast friends. Okay. So then winter comes and I did not really realize that in the winter in Alaska, I mean, I knew that there wasn't as much 
light daylight as the rest of the year, but I didn't realize how much darkness there is and they get snowed in a lot. And so they're stuck in their little tiny cabin, completely cut off from the outside world in the dark. And the father begins to totally unravel and he just, it's just like killing him. And it's pretty bad. And that winter's pretty bad, but then spring comes and it starts to get better. And this book goes through several years and you just watch this man unravel and unravel and unravel. And the mom is not totally healthy character either, in my opinion. Would you guys agree with me? Oh yeah. And this daughter is just trying to like figure it out and grow up and live her life. And she just adores her parents and just the way they act and, and her father and how he gets in the wintertime. It's just heartbreaking for her to watch basically as her family implodes. Um, I really don't want to give too much away about what happens as he unravels and unravels even further because it would give away so much of the book that you wouldn't want to read it. Um, I will tell you the relationship, the friendship between Letty. It's her name, right? Letty? Letty. 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 That's what it is. Yes. Yeah. I have to confess. I've only, I've only been able to read this book all the way through once and it was, um, nine months ago, right when it came out is when I read it. Yeah. Um, it's, I'm going to read it again, but I have to kind of psych myself up for it. Um, so, but the relationship between Lenny and um, the boy that befriends her from the beginning is just so beautiful. I, I absolutely love that friendship so much. And yes. um, I, I, I just, there's so much in this book. I can't even, I don't know. I don't even, it's, it's almost still so hard for me to talk about, but it was so beautifully written um, if you haven't read The Great Alone, I would highly recommend it. But it is not, do not read this book thinking that it's going to be lighthearted and easy to get through. No. Not you know, at all. One thing that I'll say about The Great Alone, because we haven't really touched on this part, is that um, I think part of what she's showing is even back in the late 70s, early 80s, services for veterans were not they were what crap. they should have been. and. So this is a family and a man who suffered from a lack of support and services. And even though he did some hideously terrible things, you could see he was a good person. That well, that this well, is not that the person he always. Yeah, that this is not the mm-hmm. person that he always was. That being in Vietnam so drastically altered him that he was doing his best to try to keep, you know, body and soul together, family together, and trying to be a good function. person been to function, mm-hmm. but his inability to function was a lot related to the lack of support and services that veterans received after Vietnam. So um, I think she did yeah. a really like horrifyingly lovely job of depicting yes. that. Would you guys agree with that? I uh, yes. would. There's yeah. something so like stark and, and empty mm-hmm. about the way that she wrote this. Um, I and love she make- my books dark. Yeah. yeah. And I think in so many ways, this is like the best thing she's written. Oh, yeah. I mean, in some ways, I liked it even better than The Nightingale. But I don't know, because The Nightingale was pretty awesome. Also. Yeah. But I, what the, the, the big thing about this book also is how she depicted Alaska. Yes. Yes. It, it was it amazing. Was like a, it was almost like a character in the book, Alaska. Yes, it was. Yes, it was. Yeah. 
And I have been really like addicted to books set in the wilderness now. Like ever since I've read this, I like want more and more and more things that are set in these dark, like bleak landscapes. I mean, just (laughs) you would two of them. I would. (laughs) Would I? I There are no zombies in the bleak, dark landscape. So I think I'll leave. I don't know. I can only read a couple sad books a year, and I'm not. I don't want to give it away. It. Um. You don't feel like you know burying your head under a pillow and sucking your thumb at the end of the book. But um, I feel like this book has hope and horror in equal measure. And yes, it does. That's a yes. good way to describe it. Hope and horror. Have the grace alone. Yes. <laughs> Kristen Hanna. <laughs> All right. Well, that is it for us tonight. Thank you to Stacy and Sarah for chatting with me about books relating to war tonight. I hope that all of you have found something something to read, something to make you think about the cost of war on, on all of us. And I'm not here to get into whether I think war is good or bad, because it doesn't really matter. It matters that war is something that we all deal with in one way or another. And I'm glad that we have taken the time to talk about some books that reflect just what that experience is like. And what happens when people come home. Yes. Mm-hmm. I want to, of course, thank Christine for her fantastic editing <laughs> on this and every episode <laughs> that we uh, put before her. Yeah. And thank you. to all of you who have joined us for the Book Bistro journey. It's hard to believe that we have been at it for almost a year. Wow. I can't believe this it. This is the end of May. By the time... This airs, it will be like the end of May, and in August, Book Bistro will be a year old. I'm so grateful that so many of you have come along with us to hear us talk about all sorts of fantastic books. If you would like to let us know your thoughts... You can do that by leaving us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts or any other platform you use to access the show. And not only does it allow us to see your feedback, but it also helps other book lovers to find us, which is a great thing. So I will be back next Tuesday morning with more bookish fabulousness. And some number of us will be back on Friday with more discussion of great books. Take care, everybody.